these days that I just, I kind of am in awe of just the beauty and the wonder of all that God has created around us. And it's just a really good gift in fall to be reminded of the beautiful world that God has given to us and the delight that it is to live in relationship with him and with people around us. And there's just so much good in our life and in our world. But as we walk through life, we also recognize there's so much that is profoundly broken. Again, we hear from Andrew and Julie and their work to end human trafficking. We hear of all kinds of intense stories of the darkness and the evil and the wickedness that takes place all around the world. We see the hostility and selfishness of wars and things playing out on the whole world stage. And we recognize also the evil and the destructive nature of what's taking place in our own hearts. And we find ourselves in seasons like this with this harsh contrast between the beauty and the wonder, the goodness of all that we see, and the hardness and the difficulty and the pain and the injustice and the wickedness of what we see and know and experience as well. And how do we make sense of all of this? How do we move towards all of this redemptively? You know, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've talked to as a church, what does it look like? What is the vision that God is calling us to? That we are a people who are about making Jesus known but making Jesus known to every single part of our hearts and our minds and our souls and lives and beings that we would live in a vibrant and a life-giving relationship with Jesus, holding nothing back, but living full of his presence and peace. And also that we would take the goodness of what we know and feel and experience in Jesus and we would take it everywhere to a world desperately in need and every opportunity he gives us as we go about the life that we have and wherever he will send us. And as we take the presence of Jesus, as we make him known, this is what makes the difference. This is what brings about real and lasting change because no other thing on earth can bring about the change that is necessary except the presence of Jesus. And where Jesus is, anything and everything is possible. And so this is how we bring about the change that is necessary in our own souls, in our life as a church, in our world, and the community around us. It is desperately important that we make Jesus known. As I've thought about this and considered and pondered it, there are two critical pieces for us about making Jesus known, two critical keys to how we will accomplish this task that he's given to us. And today I'm gonna to talk about the first one and on October 22nd, I will talk about the second. And so what is this first key that's essential for us to make Jesus known? Well, let's pray first and I'll tell you after. I need to increase suspense somehow, right? It's gotta happen somewhere. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your love, for the gift that we have of life in you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are so good and you desire to be present with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that your presence would flow into these moments, fill them and use them to accomplish everything that you desire. We proclaim your rule and authority and dominion over this space that we have. We ask for your protection over our hearts and minds and souls that nothing of what I'm about to say will get distorted or twisted or lost. We ask, Lord, that all of it would produce the fruit that you desire to accomplish in and through these moments. Would you lead us to be the people that you want us to be so that we can make you known faithfully as you are calling us to? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a few months back, I was out for a morning run, and as I was running, I was praying because, let's all be honest, running is much more pleasant when you're praying and thinking about something else. You don't feel the anguish and the agony quite so much. And as I was praying, I was really overwhelmed with the intensity and the weight of all that we need to do and the work that needs to be done to make us the church that Jesus is calling us to be. And I was also feeling a significant weight around my neighbors and the people that I live around, the people, the streets that I was running down, these people all around me who are amazing and life-giving people who are so good, but who also need Jesus. And I just felt the weight of how do we accomplish all of this? 
How could I ever organize and structure the staff and our life as a community in such a way that it would actually accomplish the fullness of what Jesus is asking us to do? I just felt the weight of this, and maybe it was also the agony of running past you know, the five-kilometer mark. But as I was going through this process, I just cried out to God and said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. It would take hundreds and thousands of pastors, people fully dedicated to seeing this work accomplished and done all over the place to do this, to reach these people who are so in need of you and to make us the church that you want us to be. And in that moment, I felt the gentle movement of the Spirit of God just saying to me, that is exactly what you have. I have given you hundreds and over a thousand people, all of them ministers of my presence and gospel. You have an entire church full of ministers of the gospel. As I thought about this and considered it, I was brought back to so many different passages of Scripture and the beauty of how God has designed His body, the church, to be and to live and to exist, as Brad read about earlier in the service for us. My heart came back to one passage in particular. In 2 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now this is a passage that I know really well. This is a passage that I have preached on many times. But it hit me with a whole new intensity and a different kind of clarity as I was out running and as I've been process processing since then. This idea of what does it look like to really be this people of God that he intends for us to be. Again, the fascinating thing about this is God has already done this. In his death and his resurrection, Jesus has already accomplished everything that Peter is talking about here. He has already given us over a thousand ministers of the gospel, over a thousand pastors, men and women and children, all of us exactly in the places that he has called us to be. He is creating this beautiful and this life-giving space this dynamic movement of people full of his spirit and presence, empowered to bring the truth of his word and his life anywhere and everywhere that he sends us and all the places that he calls us to go. And again, we are able to accomplish this powerful mission to make Jesus known only as we do this. This is the first critical key to us being able to accomplish the vision that he has for us, is that we must embrace this unique calling that all of us would recognize who we are as empowered ministers of the gospel in the unique places that he has put us and all the places that he sends to us. Because as we go about this mission, as we accomplish these things, anything is possible. Jesus can reach anyone and everyone that he's calling to and everyone that he wants to as we embrace this mission. We can accomplish the vision that he's placing on our hearts and our minds and our souls. We can change the spiritual climate of the peace region and the world. Anything and everything is possible as we embrace the uniqueness of Jesus' calling and vision for us. And so today, this is an invitation into a whole new perspective. Today is an invitation for us as a church to throw off a previous perspective of who we have had, of who we are together, and how we are meant to function as a church, and to embrace this new reality that God is calling us into. And today what I want to do is I want to talk a bit about who we are and who the scripture describes us to be, and I want to outline a couple of things of what this looks like. How do we actually live this out? Because if we are able to embrace this, so many things will change. 
And through us, God will accomplish greater things than we could ever possibly imagine and different things that we could even possibly know at this particular point in time. Now, I want to be clear as I start this sermon, this is a direction that we are moving. This is not an accomplished goal. If we were on a road trip, this would be like me telling you, hey, we're going to Winnipeg together, not saying we are arriving in Winnipeg. Again, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done on every level for us to accomplish this, and so don't hear me say this is a done deal and it's all fully finished and we'll walk out and pazam, it will be done. Again, this will take some significant work on all of our parts. But let's walk through this passage briefly together to understand a bit more of who we are. This passage begins with this phrase, you are a chosen people. Isn't it an amazing thing to be chosen? We all want to be picked. We want to be chosen. I remember back in elementary school, you know those awkward moments in gym class in elementary school where they pick two captains and those two people get to pick everybody else, and inevitably at the end, it typically was me and Laura Huskins who were left at the end of this whole thing waiting for somebody to pick us, and Laura, if you're out in the world somewhere watching this, I'm not throwing you under the bus. Thanks for being there for me and uh, journeying through elementary school with me. But again, this whole idea that we just want to be chosen, because when we're chosen, someone recognizes something unique in us. There's something about who we are that they want and that they're drawn to. And when someone picks us, it's just so significant. And today, do you know that you were chosen by God Almighty? Do you know that God looked down the whole scope of time and space and history and he saw you? And when he saw you, God said, that is a woman that I want to be my daughter. That is a man that I want to be my son. He knew the fullness of who you are and the fullness of who you will be, and he said, I want you. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, none of us is here by accident. And you're not here because your parents were amazing, even though I'm sure they were amazing and did some great things to disciple you along the journey. You're not even here because you made great choices or because you've done great things to follow Jesus. You are here because when God looked down the scope of time and space and history, he saw you and he loved you. And he wanted you so much that he called you into life and relationship with himself. And God wants you and God chose you not just because you'll do amazing things and you will do amazing things, but God chose you because he wanted you. And not just for a short-term space or not just for a little bit of time or not just to be his friend, God wanted you as a part of his family. He wanted you to be a son, he wanted you to be a daughter for all of eternity to live life in relationship with him. And today, do you know that you were chosen? And not just by anybody or someone significant, but by the creator and the sustainer, the ruler of all of the universe, sees something unique in you that he loves and longs for, and so he picked you. And this gives us confidence, this gives us courage, this gives us capacity to move forward and to do things that are so far beyond our ability to, because we know that we are chosen and we are loved, we are longed for by God Almighty, and he has placed us in this time and in this space for his glory and the purposes that he intends. And so we are a chosen people. But not only that, we are a royal priesthood. And this is what this message really comes all around, this concept that we are a royal priesthood. Again, we see this idea of what a priest looks like in the Old Testament all over the, all over the place. Priests were people who represented God to the people, and they represented the people to God. 
Again, they would read the scriptures, they would instruct, they would guide, they would direct people into the things of God, but they would also take sacrifices and they would offer prayers and praise and different things to God. And one day, one, in every single year for one day, one person, the high priest, got to enter into the most holy place, into the very presence of God, and offer a sacrifice for a few minutes. And what Peter is saying to me and to you is that the unimaginable has happened. Something that no one could have ever comprehended has taken place because of God's movement and action. Now every single one of us, not just one day, but every day and every moment of every day, wherever we are, we can go directly into the most holy place. We can go directly into the presence of God. We don't need anybody else to go there for us. We're not restricted. We have an unhindered access to the presence of God Almighty. We can go any time that we want to, every single one of us, into the very presence of God. And he commissions us in this beautiful way that we are called, every one of us, to live as ministers and priests of the gospel. We are to represent God to the people. Everywhere that we go, we are a reflection of the presence of God. We are known by the name of Jesus as Christian people. And the world around us will often decide if God is real and if God is worth following based off of what they see in us. Because we are his representatives. We are a reflection of his presence. And again, as we heard about earlier, we are the housing of God. As Pastor Caleb likes to say it, we are now the sanctuary of God, where the presence of God himself lives. And so everywhere that you go, every conversation you enter into, every space that you are in, you are bringing this most holy place with you wherever you go. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives and resides within you if you're a follower of Jesus. And so you reflect the nature and the character, the presence of God to people all around you. And not only that, but we have a responsibility to reflect the people around us back to God. Because you have unhindered access into the very presence of the creator and sustainer of the universe, we have a responsibility to take the needs and the concerns and the weight and the fear and the grief and the pain of people all around us and bring it with us into the very presence of God, interceding and asking him to move and to work and to accomplish great and mighty things. Every single one of us is empowered and called to be actively about this work. Whether we are young or old, whether we are talented or less talented, whether we are wise or feel like we are foolish, whether we have a clean, clean slate or quite a checkered past, every single one of us are empowered ministers of the gospel. And this is a trust and responsibility that God gives to us. There are no passive observers in the kingdom of God. There are no consumers in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us is an empowered minister of the gospel and invite to live this out in amazing ways. And can you imagine this? There are hundreds and thousands of us, each and every one of us in our homes and in our workplaces, in our schools, in our classrooms, in the places where we live, our neighborhoods, where we go for recreation, everywhere that we go, we are ministers of the gospel. Do you know that you are a minister in your home? Do you know that God has called you to pastor your classroom or your workplace? or your neighborhood, or the people that you play hockey with, or pickleball, as the case may be. Wherever you go, you're invited to be this presence of Jesus. 
And we are not small, we are not weak, we are not incapable because we are the people of God. And the Holy Spirit of God resides within us. As Paul would say, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me and is living in you. And that power is not insignificant. That power is not inconsequential. That power is not too little to accomplish everything that needs to be done and everything that must be changed in my life and your life and in our church and in our city and in our region and in our world. Because wherever the presence of Jesus goes, he is more than enough to accomplish what needs to be done. And so this is who we are. And so we step out as this unique people that God has created. We go out as a holy nation, confident that we are God's special possession. That we get to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into the glory of his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received it. And so we go out, every man, every woman, every child, every single one of us is empowered ministers of the gospel, recognizing that you are exactly where God has called you to be, in your family and in your workplace and in your neighborhood and all of these situations, in every place that you go, you go carrying the very presence of God as an empowered minister of his life and of his goodness. And so within the body of the church, we encourage each other and we challenge each other and we move each other forward because we are all empowered ministers of his gospel. And within our world, we each take the truth that we know in Jesus and we bring it with us wherever we go because this is who he has called us to be. We are called to make Jesus known wherever we are and wherever he sends us. And we can only accomplish this, and we will only accomplish this to the extent that we know and act like and believe that every single one of us is an empowered minister of the gospel. And so this is what he is inviting us into. And now if all of this is true, it means that there are significant and some particular changes that need to take place in how we view our life together as a congregation. And there are a number of changes that need to be made. I want to focus on a couple of them this morning just for the sake of time and effort and energy and the space that we have to continue to move forward. Certainly, we need to make a significant mindset shift in how we view our life together, particularly around who is staff and who is congregation. Again, sometimes we slip into our cultural model to believe that there are a few professionals who really accomplish the work, and there are a number of people who are consumers who get to take in the religious goods and services. Again, this isn't God's vision for who the church is intended to be and what he wants to produce in us and through us. It requires that we adapt our perspective to Jesus' view of who we are and how we are meant to live together. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I love that last phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, because this is what we talked about two weeks ago, with that vision of what it looks like, that we make Jesus known to every part of who we are so that we all attain to the full measure of Christ. And as we do that, each and every one of us has a particular part that God is calling us to play. And one role is not more significant than another, even if they look different. My role in this church is not any more important than your role in this church. 
because this is how Jesus has defined it to be. And all of us are called to simply and faithfully walk out the calling that God has given to us and the ways he's inviting us to live. And this passage will remind us that the role of the leadership in the life of the church is not to control and not to dominate and not to accomplish all of the work of ministry. The role of the leadership in the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The role of the leadership is to liberate and to strengthen and to empower and to equip and to release the church into its calling to live every single one of us as empowered ministers of the gospel. And this is our role, this is what we are called to do, so that all of us will reach unity and live in the fullness of who Jesus has created and called us to be. And again, I know this is so much on the heart of the leadership of this church for us, but as the lead pastor, I also recognize there have been and maybe continue to be some significant ways that we fail to do this well. There have been and there are ways and times where as leadership we are controlling and we tend to dominate and we tend to stifle, stifle our capacity as a church to live this out faithfully and well, empowering every one of us to live as ministers of the gospel. And again, in my role and the responsibility that I have, I want to apologize to you for the ways that we fail to live this out well, for the times where we are dominating and controlling, for the times we want to do the work of ministry ourselves as opposed to empowering you to do it well, and for any and every way that we have stifled within you the movement and work of what the Spirit of God is producing and doing in you. Again, I am profoundly sorry. And I recognize that I can't snap my fingers and make everything change in an instant because we all have a path to grow and things that we need to continue to learn and grow and develop in. And I'm so grateful for your grace and your patience as we continue to navigate this and work this out in the days and weeks and months to come. And I also recognize that this requires a change in our perspective from a congregational view as well. Because sometimes we give into our cultural model that we can simply come and be consumers of religious goods and services instead of understanding that we are called to live actively and to participate in the wonder and the goodness and the view of what God is doing. And sometimes we give in to the idea that it's their job, the professionals, to do this work. I want to invite you into this journey together as we continue to learn and grow what it means and what it looks like for all of us to live as empowered ministers of the presence of God and who he's calling us to be. Now, one particular part of this that I recognize is going to present a significant challenge that I've been praying about and processing over the last number of months is that one of the things I love about this church is that we are very passionate. I love that in this church we have a strong sense of vision and direction, and we have a lot of ideas about how the church should be run and how things should go, and I love the sense of ownership that we have together. This is good, this is godly, and I never, ever want to lose that. It's significant and it's important that we foster the sense of ownership and the sense of connection that we have together of our shared vision of what Jesus is calling us to do. But I also know that when a sense of ownership shifts into a sense of entitlement, that we believe that we are entitled to have everything work out the ways that we want it to be, it becomes toxic. It becomes profoundly destructive. And in some ways it is killing us. And a part of what we need to figure out how to navigate really well is this unique calling that God is giving to us to live all of us as empowered ministers of the gospel, and how do we live this out in a way where we can honor and respect and love and care for one another, in a way where we will flourish and thrive? 
And I've been reminded a number of years ago, when I was a young pastor, I hit a moment of a loggerhead with my board. I really wanted the church to go in one particular direction, and the board really wanted the church to go in another direction. And we kept coming back to this particular point and banging our heads against each other over and over again. I remember one afternoon praying about it and just saying, Jesus, I think I'm right. I want this church to go this direction because I think this will produce the best results for your glory. And again, I knew the gentle voice of the Spirit of God reminded me, Andrew, this is not your church. It isn't about what you think is best. It isn't about what the board thinks is best either because it isn't their church either. I recognize the gentle movement of the Spirit of God reminding me, Andrew, this is my church. It doesn't belong to any of you. I think this is a unique challenge for us. We want to maintain all of the passion. We want to maintain all of the ownership of our shared vision under Jesus' authority. But it's also a calling for us to recognize that this is not my church. This isn't even your church. This is Jesus' church. And in the ways that we navigate the spaces where we disagree and in the spaces where we navigate our competing visions for where we need to go, we need to live in a healthy submission to the person of Jesus because this is his church and this is his vision and this is his mission and we are his people. And it requires that we engage with one another with the attitude of Jesus, with a heart to bless and to care for and to encourage one another. It requires that we let go of the things that we want and sometimes we don't demand our own way. We should never let go of our capacity to be open and honest and to share passionately the things that are on our heart and the things that we want for ourselves and for the life of the church and the ways that we think this should go. We should never stop those conversations. But we need to play them out in a way that reflects the nature of Jesus. And I found it interesting, in Ephesians chapter four, just a few verses before Paul talked about what the, how the structure of the church should work, Paul said these words. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I found it so encouraging that the early church had exactly the same struggles that we have. The early church also had to recognize how do we work through this space where we're all called to live as empowered ministers of the gospel and we are called to do this together, respecting one another well. And so I wonder what would it look like if we could live out all, of, all that we think and all that we say and all of our actions in a way that was worthy of the calling that we have in Jesus? What would it look like if our view of one another changed what if we never looked at one another as an obstacle to overcome or as a tool to be used to accomplish our own ends? What if we looked at one another and when we saw each other, we saw an empowered minister of the gospel, someone that Jesus loves profoundly and someone that he has given wisdom and insight and strength and in whom the Spirit of God dwells? What would it look like if we were patient what would it look like in our moments of frustration and disagreement and, and occasionally hostility if we resisted the temptation to run and to hide or to pull away, if we resisted the temptation to become angry or aggressive, and instead we chose to be patient with each other and to work through our areas of difference in a way that reflects the nature of Jesus? What would it look like if we made every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? 
if we were really careful to protect each other's reputation within the community, in the things that we say and in the things that we do? What would it look like if we could live out the attitude of Jesus who gave himself up for the betterment of others in the moments where we are called to give ourselves and our desires and our visions and our ambitions for our life as a community or for ourselves into the hands of Jesus so that somebody else could be blessed? What would it look like if we gave up every single piece of cynicism and if we chose to never be suspicious of one another? What would it look like if we believed the best in each other and never ascribed motives that we don't actually know that the other person has? What would it look like if we lived out life this way? Again, I think this is how this works. Jesus knows that this is the way his church is meant to operate. And in this kind of environment, there is no fear of someone dominating or controlling or us getting rolled over by those with stronger visions or ability to speak or personalities. In this kind of an environment, we can bless and affirm and respect one another in the unique calling that we each have to live as empowered ministers of the gospel, and we can do this well. We can flourish and we can thrive. Again, today, this is an invitation into something different. This is an invitation into a new perspective of who we are and how we are meant to function together. Because Jesus has given us an essential vision to make him known. And this doesn't work. We can't accomplish this role unless every single one of us recognizes that we are an empowered minister of the gospel. You are wanted and you are chosen, you are needed. Your role in the life of the church is not any less important than mine, it's not any more important than mine. We are called to live this out together. And we are called to pursue this vision in a way where we respect one another and love one another, where we can express the kind of humility where there's no hint that our belief or our perspective or what we think is important is somehow more valuable than somebody else's. We can recognize the beauty of what Jesus is doing in and through us. Again, this is a critical moment for us. Jesus is calling us to become this kind of church so that he will be glorified and that he will be made known. And again, I'm excited for the journey that we're on. I'm so excited to see what Jesus will do through us because you are amazing. I've grown to know you and to love you and to see the strength of who this church has been over the course of these last nine, ten months. And the capacity for what Jesus can do in and through us is unparalleled. But in order to do this, we need to receive this is our calling and we need to do this faithfully and well. And so let's just take a minute to reflect. Again, what is Jesus calling you? What is Jesus inviting you into today? Again, for many of us, I know that what he wants for you is he's asking you to embrace this calling as yours. He's asking you to release all the lies that you've been told and all the lies that you believe that your part is not significant or that it's for some professional to do or that because of some hindrance in your life or a problem in your past, you're disqualified. For many of us, what Jesus is asking us to do today is to embrace at this moment where we are in this time, his calling to be an empowered minister of the gospel. And for others of us, he's calling us to embrace this and he's calling us to change our perspective about how we are meant to interact with one another. And for some of us, maybe even our attitude about how we interact and engage with one another. And so let's just take a moment to reflect. What is it that Jesus is calling you to do today?
You see, together, Jesus has given us this calling to make him known. Because we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are God's special possession, that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the glory of his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so because of the wonder and the abundance of what Jesus has poured over us, let's embrace the dignity of who he has called us to be and the responsibility that he gives to every one of us to live as his empowered ministers of the gospel. Let's do this for the sake of the world around us, and let's do this for the sake of the glory of God, that he might be lifted up, that our lives in this region might be changed. Let's embrace this calling to make Jesus known.